to the ASMR. God. <laughs> God. Uh, okay, everyone, welcome to the welcome to the Code Kitchen podcast. I'm your host Divan, and I'm joined by my co-host Simon. And today's Hello, topic folks. is JavaScript. Um, yeah, so I think JavaScript gets a lot of hate um from devs especially non-javascript devs and i think there's there's a lot of positive oh. sides to it as well um but i think we're gonna we're gonna discuss it from both angles today um we're gonna we're gonna talk about how it's achieved so much and how you can see javascript pretty much anywhere um but also some of the downsides and some of the strange bits about the the community or the technology Cool. I, I think that sounds like a great introduction. So um, to give you guys some context, I'm not technically a JavaScript developer, but I accidentally slipped and fell and landed in some JavaScript for three and a half years. So I have a fair amount of um, experience with the language, um, primarily as a backend developer, and I've grown to both love and hate it deeply on both sides. <laughs> I think it's an amazing piece of technology. And I think one day when people look back on the, the early days of programming, um, JavaScript is going to be an important part of that story. Like Devon said, it's, it's achieved amazing things in the, the time of its growth. And um, you can feel however you want about JavaScript, but you're going to have to deal with it at some point. So I have an interesting history with JavaScript because I, I would say the first professional code I wrote in JavaScript was Node and not front-end JavaScript. <laughs> Wow. Which was a little bit odd. Yes, because it was the time when, uh, um, I mean, at the start of my career, I did Objective-C and did mobile applications. And that that first app I did had a C-sharp backend, but I, I kind of didn't feel like doing SOAP um, in Objective-C. So I wanted to deal with JSON <laughs> instead. Uh, so I started porting a bit of that backend to, to JavaScript and, and Node uh, at, at the time. Uh, because it, it was a it was a fairly new technology. I mean, this was around 2012. That that kind of I'm not sure when Node actually started, but yeah, one of one of the other devs pointed me towards Node, and it was very interesting because at that time there was also the the Johnny Five project that that started up where uh, you could do Arduino robots with JavaScript, which was really really cool. And I, I found that cool. And I remember going to the site of Node.js and and just doing um, like the small Hello World example and going, okay, that's interesting. But then later on, picking it up about six months later and, and trying to actually build something with it. But I think when you have that perspective, you see that uh, all the things that people complain about are more about the browser than the language when you take the language on its own. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that's a big cause of people's confusion is that uh, JavaScript kind of made the, the modern web possible in the way that, you know, you couldn't do some of these things. I, I don't remember who said it, but it was like, well, the APIs in, in the DOM are so bad that it needs JavaScript in order to function properly. Yeah, um, that, that is a real thing. So browsers are crazy. Let's get that out of the way because I, I don't think anyone who's worked with browsers for a long period of time will, will deny that. They're a, a huge ball of disparate APIs. 
they're incredibly, incredibly powerful pieces of technology, but they are many, many things all cobbled together and hold together with hopes and dreams. And the only way you can really do that is currently with JavaScript, to be honest. There isn't another language that can really claim uh, dominance in a browser like JavaScript can. Yeah, I mean, I think we all have JavaScript somewhere in our project, you know, whether if you're doing web dev, obviously. Um, I I don't think people who write gate Moses software are particularly interested. Although um, it is. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was just about to say um, it's worthy of pointing out that the, the recent SpaceX launch. Just about to say, yeah. Yeah, that rocket interface was was a uh, was a web browser. So yeah, there is JavaScript everywhere. And like you said with Johnny Five, you you're sticking in robots. So um, sure, JavaScript will, will go anywhere where JavaScript can go. I think that's almost an axiom of life. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, I w- I want to do a transition to experience uh, in the field for a minute. Um, the the other thing is I've run into situations where I've used Node for a single scripting task um, of maybe migrating something from one database to another. Um, the other one was, it, it was a very fascinating thing. We had a list of regions around the country um, in, in an application and people had had registered based on these regions. And then we got the list of official names about six months after this app had been running. <laughs> and Oh, wonderful. And so there was a requirement to basically move all of the current data to the better regional names. And they're, they're not regional names that are crazy different. They were very, you could match them with fuzzy logic which is what I did. And (laughs) there was an NPM library for that. And now I could have written it in Python, which probably would have been a better choice. Um, But for numerous reasons, if, if you're in the enterprise consulting space, it's very difficult to convince people to have a whole new language just for one thing. Um, yeah. Whereas you've got JavaScript lying around everywhere, it's it's not much of a fight to say yeah. hey, I'm going to write this. And like, of course, everyone knows JavaScript, right? Why would anyone have an issue with it? It's it's, it's amazing. Um, and I've even used uh, like a package.json in in ways that it probably shouldn't be used. Um, <laughs> You know, because in a package.json, you can set up those scripts like the start and dev and, and anything. Mm. Like that. You can actually put any commands you want in there. Um, you have full access to, to the user's machine. Uh, a bit of an issue with security, but I think they've solved <laughs> some of those. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always been a tool that's just ready at hand. And yeah, I've used it in places where you really should have used Python. Um, but familiarity with the tool set the the availability of libraries uh because of the fact that if you if you think about it um virtually everything gets ported um to that some of them are unstable i have to admit 
some of them have um, <laughs> you know like that's this, a long conversation we should definitely talk about at some point today yeah yeah because i mean i mean uh, the one library i'm using now for bonjour services it's called bonjour so i want to use that one because that's all it's called um but the last update was four years ago but is that is that a bad thing does it work I guess that's that's a that's a topic of discussion as well. Um, yeah. Something that we in the industry have sort of, when we make a library selection, we always check oh when last was it updated, and if it was four years ago, um, you know we kind of reject it and go mm, that's a bit dodgy. But so many times I've seen. A project i forget what the the other one is i think it was called quartz or something um it was a c-sharp library um that did um like cron jobs basically like a, a job on a timer <laughs> funny I, I laughed because it's my current project <laughs> and people said it was dead because it wasn't updated in in last three years and then I checked last month, and suddenly they've revamped the whole website. The, the development is back up and running and stuff like that. And then I went and checked my own library. No, of course, it's far from uh, dead. Because <laughs> I, I have a library um, for the Mac. On a Mac, I think it's called Airports or something. Um, you okay. know, whatever the, the Wi-Fi driver is called. And it was yeah. just a node wrapper around that. I hadn't updated that thing in five years. I went there, looked at it. It still works. So I was like, oh, yeah. okay. I'll just. Yeah, I some... mean, there's, there's definitely something to be said there. But I also want to touch on a, a, a point that you tangentially touched on uh, just now, which is um, using JavaScript for those kind of uh, strange little tasks. JavaScript is an incredibly powerful multi-purpose language. Um, you can do anything in, in any language because they're pretty much all Turing complete. But some languages are incredibly difficult to get certain things done. JavaScript's good at, at many, many, many things. And it can do certain things that are incredibly difficult in other languages, like browser development. It's very hard to do browser development with Python. Not impossible, but that's, that's, that's an insane thing to be doing, potentially. Um, but you can use JavaScript for many, 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 many things. It's crazy. Yeah, I would like the versatility of javascript but with the syntax of python i would really like to be able to run python oh, in a yeah I, I, I live in dreams and hopes yeah same I mean, of course because there, there are ways but they're they're not yeah. the greatest choice so i mean that is a thing for me um as much as i, I love javascript because i i've had to use it and i've had to make my peace with it python will always be my first love um simply because that's the language i started with and it's always going to have a slightly more special place in my heart, simply because Python prevents me from removing my own leg more often than JavaScript does. And I really appreciate that about Python. Yeah. I'm not too sure that uh, just because you start with a language means you love it. Uh, I started with Visual Basic, and I've never <laughs> so touched sorry. that thing again. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that, that's an entirely fair point. I think, I think I love Python because Python is quite a lovable language. It's a very nice language. <laughs> yeah, as, as someone who picked it up only much later on, I, I do appreciate just mm. what it is. Although it does remind me of the pseudocode we learned um, in school. So. I, mean, I think it's very inspired by pseudocode. <laughs> I mean, when you realize that the entire language is named after Monty Python. Uh, ah, fantastic, Craig's back. 
Craig is back. For those of you who didn't know, Craig is the bot that records these podcasts, which are run via Discord. And he just rudely quit on us. It was very mean. But but he's back now. He hasn't apologized, but he's back now. So that's okay. He just says, now recording. That's the only thing he says. (laughs) He's kind of badass, really. Where were we before we were rudely interrupted by Craig just leaving? Um, I mean, I think touching on, on, on Python and how that's different to JavaScript. We were talking about Python because you can't have any, any uh, discussion about programming languages without Python coming up. <laughs> that's probably true. In fact, Especially according to our one colleague, you can't even write C++ without Python. Yeah, which is... Um... I think a testament to Python's power. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone had done something similar in, in JavaScript because I think they, they occupy a very similar um, intellectual space as Python and JavaScript. Well, I, so funny you mentioned that. I actually contributed to, to some dude's crazy little idea of um, what he did was he built something that would allow you to publish C and C++ packages uh, to NPM, and then you could pull them down what? and import them. Yes. Um, <laughs> wow. I'll, I'll link that to you afterwards, and maybe I'll put it in the show notes. I should also make show notes, because we didn't do that yeah, last time. That's fantastic. Um, what an interesting idea. <laughs> if I was listening yeah. to this podcast, then I would definitely want that, so I think you should do that. Yeah, he built his own required system. I'm not sure if, if people use it anymore, but I was like, I saw him tweet about it. And this was years ago as well. He, he tweeted about it, and I was like, cool, I'm going to do that with something. And then I I gave, uh, I think I made a, a package that was like a color library or something, you know, an output color library. Okay. Uh, so, so that you could output your text in different colors in the terminal. That's, That's what it was. Yeah, but it, it was, yeah. So there's definitely something like that in JavaScript. Uh, I, I think we said it earlier. If, if it can be written in JavaScript, at some point it will be written in JavaScript. I'm, yeah. I'm sure this is a, um, a paraphrase of someone much more famous than myself. I'm sure somebody has said this somewhere. Um, uh, wasn't the, it the Jeff point stand Sounds like something Jeff Atwood would say. I think, it was, actually, I think it was actually called Atwood's Law. So, yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> uh, so, so what are your experiences with, with JavaScript? Any strange ones or any notable um, scenarios? I don't know that I've really been primarily a JavaScript programmer. Um, so my first production code was also JavaScript. Um, and that was, that was doing some stuff with Canvas work. Um, so my first work was trigonometry and JavaScript, effectively. Uh, but um, f- from that from that system, I, I moved off onto backend work, and then finally through to through one of my clients into front end work and working with Polymer. And I, I think that's probably the first point where I really came head to head with JavaScript. Um, so it's difficult to talk about a language without talking about its its wider community and its um, its ecosystem. And I think if you're going to discuss JavaScript at all, at some point you're going to have to talk about um, single page application frameworks uh, because of how much attention those get in, in the modern day world. 
Um, so the one I was working with was uh, Polymer, uh, Polymer 1 and then Polymer 3, which are a little bit crazy, got to be honest. Um, but they're also incredibly powerful systems. Um, and that's it's really getting the, the browser to do things that the browser was never designed to do in the first place. And I think it's, it's quite an interesting thing that we can use JavaScript to bend such a powerful technology like a browser to do crazy things, frankly. Um, I'd be quite interested to hear your experiences of React because I haven't worked very much with that because I, you've also got Polymer experience, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I have pretty much everything experience because when I started, <laughs> so so after iOS, because uh, I tried to quit iOS for a while and and we transitioned how, how into Xamarin beforehand, um, <laughs> which was terrible. <laughs> Uh, because uh, to be quite frank, if you're used to coding something in Objective-C and then you get given Objective-C but with gloves on, it, it feels a bit strange. Um, is is but, that but what JavaScript yeah, was for you? No, no, no. That's what Xamarin was for me. Oh, right. Um, okay. Because you're still working in Objective-C. The errors still come from Objective-C, except I can't write Objective-C, which was annoying. And it took me a while <laughs> to figure out that the garbage collector was still reference counting from Objective-C, and it wasn't behaving the way you'd expect C-sharp to behave either. Um, so that was fun. Oh. Not. Um, garbage collection bugs are something else, difficult to track down. Yeah. Um, but, but my JavaScript experience actually started with I mean, back in the days where jQuery was the way to build a website. And so... Ah, oh, the good old days. Uh, some yeah, good, no, some bad. No. <laughs> there was I'm certainly... definitely romanticizing the past here. <laughs> <laughs> there was certainly a good way to build um, applications using jQuery. Um, yeah. And, and it was actually covered in a book called Programming JavaScript Applications by Eric Elliott. And, okay. but if you look in there, um, he, he basically creates a, a, um, a function object and it has a render method. And in the render method, it kind of does a one-way bind to the DOM. Sounds familiar, yeah. doesn't it, to anyone yeah. who's seen React? Um, so definitely the concept was there quite a while back, but um, I only read that book much later. Uh, and so I find so it extremely it's... interesting that you say that because I haven't read that book. Um, and at some point before I'd really got into the programming culture in a big way, I had to build a, a very small little web application framework to overhaul a piece of technology at my last job. And um, that is exactly what I did. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that's something that's, that I think a lot of programmers who have to deal with um, the DOM um, and manipulate in deep ways have come across and have independently created. So things like React and Angular are actually just a coagulation is the wrong, wrong word. Um, a centralization of those ideas into a sensible, rational framework and to take those ideas forward. I just find it extremely interesting. Yeah, I mean, for me, React definitely solved the problem. Um, but, but those earlier frameworks did as well. Yeah, uh, because you went oh. from directly manipulating to having some sort of two-way binding. So you had you had a connection between your model um, and and what was actually being shown. Yeah, and 
and I, I think that the next thing I, I used from, well, there were two things at the time. There was Knockout JS, which is a much older um, binding framework, and then there was um, Angular One. Yeah, and I'd used both, but one of the things at the time that stood out about Knockout and the reason we started rolling out with that was because it was a, a a thing that you could put in a particular place in an application without disturbing the rest of the application. So you could have a jQuery application okay, and very easily bring in Knockout, which is, but at the time it was not recommended to blend um, Angular and jQuery. Um, okay. Yeah. And and those frameworks brought two-way binding, which solved a lot of problems with regards I made to new ones. having to reference HTML and then go back and forth. But yeah, mm. they did introduce new ones. One of the things was uh, we learned very quickly why uh, the Angular guys insisted that you don't use jQuery, because <laughs> in some instances, you would have an issue where... Um, the jQuery validation would interfere with something else going on inside your knockout code. So because jQuery was global, it, it obviously overrode anything that happened uh, from, from inside knockout. So I remember having a few bugs like that and coming in on a public holiday and having to deal with something <laughs> crazy. Sounds wonderful. Some form that was wiping itself out and eventually learning that it was some something someone wrote in jQuery somewhere else that, that caused <laughs> the problem. Uh, so definitely not the, the greatest moment there. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I struggle to find an example of, of one of the issues that these two-way binding frameworks... Um, you, you know, things that come about, but yeah. definitely not th th that issue um, that you get with two-way binding just goes away in React. Uh, yeah. Because it's only one-way binding, you don't have sort of interference issues or I, I think one of my favorite examples actually now, now that I think about it is there is an example of cursor movement inside an input. So if you want Ooh. to add spaces inside a, an input uh, box, I mean, if you think about this logically, what you should be able to do is look at the input that's coming in to your um, into your in input box, yeah, um, and then maybe just use a regex, apply it, and add those spaces. So like, you know, when you, you type in a phone number or a credit card number or something like that, yeah. um, that can actually be incredibly difficult without a library in some other frameworks. I remember trying to do one in particular in Angular 1, and it was much frustration because as soon as you added that, that character, so let's say every three characters you want to make a space. So you go, yeah. okay, I've typed in three characters. Now let's insert a space in, into the value. The problem yeah. is that the cursor position is remembered as three. So you've typed one, two, three. You've added a space. But now your cursor is before the space. Oh. 
Yeah. Okay. So now you have to do some maths, um, which is is not fun. Um, for starters, you can move it, um, but some of the APIs don't all agree, depending on your browser. So now you have to have browser-specific <laughs> APIs and all sorts of things. It just it gets worse and worse as you go down the yeah. down the lane. Um, and, and you have to start doing browser checking and checking for key inputs. Then it turns out that on some Samsung devices, every key code input that you get is like the same key code. Doesn't, it doesn't care. It just ignored the key code API. Um, you know, I have questions, stuff. but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get answers. I, I'm, I never did. So, um, <laughs> But now if you if you translate this problem into React, remember that in React, everything goes through this cycle of, well, you press a key, and then on the on key click, you change the state. So you've got this yeah. intermediate place where you can make a decision about the state of the component. And so this thing that took weeks uh, to kind of figure out in, in an Angular 1 application, um, I went home and it took me about five minutes uh, because it, it we looked at the the, the input in the field. Um, all you have to do is just say, okay, add the space, and then the state of the entire thing changes. And because of that, it goes well. There's four um, characters in this input field now, so I'm going to put the the uh, the cursor at, at location four. Problem solved. Wow. And and it's that kind of stuff. I mean, that's one example. But when it comes to that state management between the model and the DOM, yeah. Uh, I mean, we created the model separate from the DOM um, in 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 the first iteration of frameworks, and I think React brought in that that control, that state control, that predictable state control. Uh, yeah. Between between the DOM and and the framework, and that's that's really the big draw for me to React, and why most other th frameworks that that come after it, it's like, well, does it solve this problem, or is it React like? Yeah, <laughs> is the question. <laughs> I mean, I think what's also important here to understand is that um, as as crazy and as powerful as the problem is, and um, as elegantly as React has solved that, that, that isn't a JavaScript problem, that's a browser problem. Um, just keeping it relevant to the talk. Um, and JavaScript yeah. gets a lot of hate for these issues. And I'm gonna say something, please don't quote me on this. It's not JavaScript's fault. Yeah. Um, JavaScript definitely has some really, really ugly parts to it. But the browser is not one of those things. Yeah, because most people's interaction with JavaScript is in the browser, I think that that definitely colors their view of the language and its abilities. Mm. I've always liked the mm. language for just how dynamic it is and just how powerful it is. And I mean, yeah. remember that time that I was picking it up, I was doing uh, Objective-C and a bit of C++ in that code for optimization purposes. So. I was looking at it through the lens of a very native developer, more native than what people are used to today. Yeah. Um, and, and I found it powerful. It was powerful because right. it could do things. And if you really needed to, you could 
drop down into C++ very easily. I mean, that early Node community, I mean, Node was written by a C developer at the end of the day, you know? Um, yeah. It was very important early on to be able to interface with C. Yeah. Um, I think so, that's a useful thing for all languages, really. Yeah. It is a bit of a crazy language because it's a functional language hiding in something that tried to look like an object-oriented language um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and seems to try even harder now with classes and, and other strange concepts that I don't really think are necessary, but that's a topic for Yeah, I have strongly mixed feelings. Um, <laughs> JavaScript is, is quite a big language. We tend to view it as quite a simple language, but I, I don't think that's actually true. If I look at some of the um, some of the strange things that I have faced over the years, they've been due to arcane parts of JavaScript. So I think the hardest bug that I've ever had to solve was um, due to um, variable hoisting in JavaScript. It's not <laughs> not a problem that you ever have to solve in another language. And and while that goes away with modern day JavaScript, man, that was that was arcane to me. Hey, I learned things that day. Yeah. Um, I wonder it's, it's if the big language. I wonder if some of my like that kind of stuff never really bothered me, but I wonder if it's because I came from a C plus plus background where you could literally just nuke some sort of random memory address on the computer. It's, it's like it's like this language is bad, but I, I can do much worse in C. <laughs> <laughs> I can take all your memory. <laughs> That, that's slightly horrifying, but yes, that's fair. That is fair. It's like in JavaScript, you, you have a memory problem. It's just in that part of the application. It's like, I can take out your whole OS in C. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we've, we've talked quite a lot about what JavaScript's great at. Um, and uh, we talked quite a lot about the parts where JavaScript gets a lot of hate, but it's not actually JavaScript's fault. I'd like to spend yeah. a little bit of time talking about the places where JavaScript does get freaking weird. Um, well, I, I, I've got to say there is a medium here. And the question there is, is NPM JavaScript's fault? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is, this is distinguishable from JavaScript. So like I said earlier, you can't really separate a language out from its ecosystem. Um, and NPM is clearly definitely part of the JavaScript ecosystem, more or less anywhere you go these days. You could replace that out for, for, for Yarn potentially, but if you're pulling down packages, you're going to be touching one of those bad boys, unless you've got something better, but I don't. Yeah, I mean, I mean Yarn is just a, a client for NPM. And I, I think the problem with NPM is, is also its benefit. Um, so, so it's a bit of a, a catch-22 there. Oh. I don't yeah. think I can this word. Um, it's, it's an issue where it's very easy to publish uh, an application on, M on, on NPM, you know, a, a library on NPM. Uh, the barrier entry is low, you know. Yeah. You create, a, create an account, push it. There, done. Yeah. Um, that creates a, a huge suite of libraries uh, that, are, that are very easy to... Um, access and use, even if they are four years old, you know, some of them just do what they need to do, like mine, mm. that just wraps some application, well, some uh, API somewhere down in your OS. But yeah. the problem there is that there's no adherence to 
but we've seen it more now in in other places as well where um my thing is like the hardest thing for the javascript community seems to be semver you know and semantic mm. versioning like what making a breaking change on on a minor version update that just breaks everything or removing your left padding library or using a left padding library <laughs> seriously <laughs> I mean, these issues are not unique to JavaScript. So over the past three weeks, I have been incredibly unlucky and I've faced three issues. They were all caused by libraries upgrading patch versions where there was a breaking change in, um, in a patch version. One of those versions wasn't Rust. Um, the other yeah. two were JavaScript. So it does happen in other languages too, um, but JavaScript does seem to have a notorious problem for it. Yeah, I mean, they did introduce now the package locks, which I think are definitely, definitely useful. Yeah. Um, so, so that you don't, um, you, you know, run into issues. Another thing besides Semver, but it's, it's got to do with version management a little bit, is I, I don't know how many JavaScript-based projects you have on GitHub, but I have a lot. And I get a lot of emails from the security bot. Oh. Lots. Lodash <laughs> has a dependency that has a dependency that has a security issue. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I, I tend to run into these things in production code, so I don't keep a lot of JavaScript in my personal life. Um, but yeah, every now and then you'll pull something down and you'll run an NPM audit and you'll go, whoa, 9,000 new vulnerabilities. That's great. Let's close that tab and never discuss this ever again. What, what can you do for that? Yeah, so GitHub has, has a thing that scans your GitHub repo. So it actually just sends you emails. And most of my emails these days are emails from GitHub saying that my <laughs> packages are insecure. It, it makes you... I think I've done now two website projects where I've um, basically used Python to generate static HTML. And I think 50% of it was because I wanted static HTML and the other 50% was because I just wanted to reduce the amount of emails I get from GitHub. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's quite annoying. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not even sure that some of them are like, very valid security issues yeah. but also some of them are because these guys rely on libraries that are, are kind of pointless like i do have, have seen left pad pulled down still um you know the whole left pad debacle you would have thought everyone pulled that out of their packages but no the people kept it there um uh, yeah we've moved into the strange place where we're pulling down smaller and smaller things um in packages so the thing that I'm referencing these days is the is even and is odd packages. Those things are <laughs> seven, eight, nine lines of JavaScript. I'm not criticizing anyone who uses these things. I, I think it's just an interesting place where we've now hit this place where packages can contain a single function. Um, the amount of code sharing that occurs in the JavaScript community is insane. It's not necessarily in a bad way. There just seems to be a lot of it. I think that gives rise to these things where packages are unstable, where semver is a common problem. Um, where you're constantly getting nailed by security audits. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing that we're sharing a lot of code? It's just a thing. It comes with positives and negatives. And I think if you're in the community, you need to rationalize these things. You need to deal with them for yourself. 
have some kind of position on or move to another language. I mean, definitely earlier on in the community, I remember a lot of guys that got involved with Node, obviously being core contributors themselves, uh, were, were kind of Unixy guys. And mm. they tried to f follow that Unix philosophy of uh, do one thing and one thing well. Uh, yeah. And the idea was to pipe things together. In fact, pipes and streams were very... I wouldn't say they're uncommon now, but piping and streaming was, was very focused on in, in early Node. Um, mm. and, and yeah, that Unix philosophy um, of, of making small applications and roping them together. And I think when NPM came down the pipe, it was like, oh, cool, this is the way that we do this now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, we can complain about NPM, but the whole world now sort of depends on that i mean because you've got a front end um npm got you started getting used in the front end i mean at that time we had require js and all sorts of crazy things that they were kind of hard to set up and now we've got this webpack npm thing where we just npm install packages and they, they work yeah except when they didn't like you like you say like uh, so much of the world is reliant on these things i think the the recent npm downtime that we had I don't know what was that three weeks ago i got yeah, independently I contacted by four people within the space of an hour going help something's gone wrong and i don't know what it is um at the same time there was a chat going on with with a whole bunch of software developers talking about the npm downtime so it's a real thing yeah. we are very dependent on npm now yeah um npm is i mean I, th I think the recommendation is to set up your own organizational npm and I think yeah. a lot of people had that, but yeah. with the recent um, global situation, um, a lot of people are working from home now, and the concept of having a this centralized yeah. version of your own, I mean, what would you do, VPN into work or something like that? It, now you've got to basically make your um, NPM mirror public-facing, and uh, that, that provides new challenges um i yeah. mean usually that's easy but you generally have to go through i don't know some security person who doesn't want to do that and um <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you know the the constant uh, war between security and its users mm. um, well usability and, and security there's always a trade-off there that's fair there's, there's always a trade-off and and now we've got to i don't think anyone was ready even if you had a an on-site mirror yeah. Uh, you probably didn't have access to it when this yeah. happened. Yeah, I know that's a real thing. But look, I mean, other languages suffer from the same thing. If um, if crates.io goes down, I can't work on the on my Rust code. There's nothing I can do about that. Yeah, it's just laugh. Yeah, maybe maybe package mirroring should be a, a more common thing. I mean, it's something yeah. that. That was actually one of the first things I thought of as, you know, if you look at something like the apt packages in Ubuntu, they're mirrored um, in a lot of places. Everywhere, I mean, there's like, yeah. There's about yeah. three mirrors in just probably in our region. Um, yeah. yeah. I know the Stellenbosch University, I, I see... Who who else was a mirror? Like some of our fiber providers mirror the uh, the packages. There's a lot of mirrors. That's great. I don't know. Yeah. That's a lot of and 
yeah because of that you know when one node goes down it doesn't matter but it seems when that one node is, see what you did there. i didn't do that on purpose funny enough <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah you, if a mirror dies um and and you pseudo applicates install you don't notice um yeah. other than it may say this mirror was down and then immediately yeah. just switch to another one yeah um so there's definitely a way to solve these issues, um, but it's interesting that they haven't gone the Linux route with yeah. regards to having different mirrors of these package managers. I think we will, as a community, at some point or another, have to start looking into something like that, simply because mm -hmm. of how important JavaScript has become in the modern-day world. But I don't know if we're there right now, and uh, with, with 2020 being what it is, we've probably got other things to worry about right now. <laughs> Well, so again, I would argue that you're sitting at home doing nothing. I mean, you've got nothing better to do. Start mirroring NPM. <laughs> All right, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm goofing off. It's important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fair. But I mean, like, like we said earlier, so um, being dependent on your package manager is, again, not a unique problem to JavaScript, even though I think JavaScript does have unique problems in this space. Um, I feel like the NPM community is, is probably a little bit more fragile than other, other language ecosystems, probably for good reason. But again, mm -hmm. not unique to JavaScript. Um, so I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on some, some problems that you believe are unique to the language itself. The, the one that springs to my mind, um, and again, it's not necessarily a problem, it's just the shape of the language, is NAN. <laughs> So my, my original um, place where I finally decided that I wasn't sure that I actually liked this whole scenario was when I, I tried to port a neural network implementation from Python to uh, JavaScript. And hmm. in Python, this kind of plays an experience. When you, you screw up a type, everything explodes, and it tells you exactly where you try to cast the type wrong, and life is great. Um, life is terrible, but at least you know why life is not um, great. Doing this in JavaScript was quite an uphill challenge because I fought with this bug and I fought with this bug and I fought with this bug and eventually I, I, I outputted the shape of my tensor to see what is going on, expecting kind of some weird floats or maybe zeros. All I get is this streams and streams of streams of nan, 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 so what are your thoughts on NAND? Do you think NAND was a mistake? Do you think there's places where it's good? Look, I've, I've never really wanted it. Um, <laughs> you know, I've never found a situation you never where, wanted. where I was like, oh, NAND is what I wanted. Um, yeah. You know, I would have I managed that error in a different way, um, you know, wrapped it somehow, thrown an exception or something. Yeah. Um, that, that doesn't seem to be a, a thing I'm particularly interested in. Yeah. Um, however, um, a question I would ask you is, if you had been dealing in TypeScript, would that have solved mm. the problem? I, I don't know because I don't know enough TypeScript, mm. um, but I suspect it probably would have. Mm. I suspect because I wouldn't have had that problem, yeah. I've definitely had situations... Um, and, and in some uh, project instances, I've decided to change something from being JavaScript to being TypeScript just so that I could have certain TypeScript features. However, 
I'm also not a big fan of TypeScript in terms of its defaults, because by default, it wants to type enforce everything. And I think the, uh, the best approach to TypeScript is using it sparingly as a tool. So it's only when I really want it. And most yeah. of the time when I've wanted it, it was to enforce an interface um, or, or a, an object shape, but that was about it. Um, yeah. And I, I don't want to have a bunch of errors. So usually when I reach for TypeScript, it's, it's when I, when I've, when I want an interface or, or something like that, and, and I want to enforce the shape of an object, I'll bring it in and I will tweak those defaults so that by default, it isn't shouting at me to put any in front of all the blank methods for whatever reason. Um, you know, so I can just write JavaScript and then put a type in place, pretty much yeah. similar to how um, how Python has implemented it. Yeah, I was about with the that. Python. Python. Look, that's going to come up a lot today. Just use Python. <laughs> Someone please write a Python engine for um, for Chrome. Just do it. Just, just do it. <laughs> so uh, on, on the subject of man, um, the other big place, I think, and, and again, this is going to, dump us very hard into Python comparisons is uh, truthiness in JavaScript. So uh, I'm not sure that I understand what is going on with truthiness in JavaScript, um, but I'm very clear about what truthiness means in Python. So a, a type in Python is false, is, it re results to truthy false, is, um, sorry, falsy is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. If it's none, if it's a zero number type, if it's false, or if it implements an iterator and ooh, the length method returns zero. Those are the four cases where something is falsy in Python. There is nothing else. Um, I need a truth table in JavaScript every single time. And I'm still <laughs> not convinced I know what's going on. Do you find that you have to check those particular crazies often, though? Um, I mean, I find generally if I'm, if I'm using truthiness, I just want to see if something's there or not. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't. I mean, I think that is an excellent point. I don't find that I bump into those problems very often. Um, I, I especially don't bump into those problems very often um, when I'm working alone because I, I'm aware that it can be problematic. The places where I do occasionally bump into it is especially if I'm working with a junior JavaScript programmer and they've made some small alterations to some code and they've started using truthiness in a strange way. Sometimes that can lead to subtle bugs. Um, but I do think you're right. Um, those are avoidable problems, the truthiness in JavaScript. Yeah, you most just have to behave like an adult. Most of the um, the kind of junior code I see with with regards to truthiness is like having a boolean and then doing a triple equals to true, and then you're just like, <laughs> oh, why don't you just put the? I mean that that's not even a javascript thing that's just like that would work in pretty much every language yeah. that i know you would just you would just stick the boolean in in the if statement and it'll say whether yeah. it's true or false we don't have to evaluate i mean yeah in that case you're literally saying is true true yeah yes um it is <laughs> well i i hope so is what you mean because there's always one nut and c who defines true to false Yes. 
Pragma yeah. Marks. Best C++ feature. Ah, <laughs> uh, the power. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that is an excellent point, though. Um, there are some strange places in JavaScript, um, and if you use them irresponsibly, you will remove your own leg. But the answer to that is probably don't use those parts irresponsibly and you'll be fine. Someone should write a book about JavaScript and call it the good parts. <laughs> and then maybe write another book called JavaScript and then compare the two sizes. Whatever happened to Crockford anyway? He just like disappeared off the map. That's an excellent question. I couldn't tell you. I th I mean, look, there's something important hiding in that statement, though. Um, a thing that I do like to say is JavaScript is a great language hiding inside a terrible one. Um, there's a lot of crazy in JavaScript. Um, if you use JavaScript like an adult, it's fantastic and it treat you well. Mm. But I've always been attracted to languages that kind of give you enough rope to shoot yourself in the foot. Do you love um, that? Yeah. And if yeah. you don't understand it, you don't understand whatever the thing is. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely, uh, for me, a language that I can probably achieve anything in, and I've I've become quite native to. It's, it's probably mm. my most, the language I'm most familiar with. Um, mm. and, and a lot of those weird things that people complain about, because I've written it for so long, it's just automatically I avoid them. Um, yeah. And and that that creates a very strange sort of situation, um, because I'll hear these criticisms and I'll be like, "Well, oh, what are you talking about?" And then I realize, "Oh, this is actually a really weird language." <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's weird stuff going on that you just forget about because now it's second nature. Um, it's yeah. it's kind of like when you live in a house and there's a weird way you have to flick a switch or in my <laughs> case we there's this microwave that's got a dial and if you if you turn the dial too quickly because it's a digital microwave in it but it's a digital dial that you know one just is that just spins forever but if you turn it too quickly <sighs> it doesn't go anywhere <laughs> or sometimes it even goes backwards but if you turn it at just the right speed it works fine not so a problem for me. It. I have the same problem with my car radio. Exactly the same <laughs> problem. Yeah, but once you know it, you're used to it. But if anyone else comes in, they're like, your yeah. microwave is broken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen doors like this where someone literally can't unlock a door. Um, and then you get the person who lives in the house and they're like, just jiggle it, bro. Um, mm. It doesn't make sense. Like you, the, the person coming in can't, can't get into the house. Um, so <laughs> there's definitely an element of, of that to JavaScript. Um, and, and I think where that can be problematic, even though it often isn't problematic, is other people's code. Um, so the left pad saga, for example, where someone behaved irresponsibly and we took down half the world. Um, I don't know if that would have happened in Java. It might have. But the Java community seems much more stringent on what happens with packages. Um, yeah, it's about who runs those repos. But remember also that there's more than one Maven repo. There's mm. not more than one NPM instance. I, I think mm. that's, that's the important bit here. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's also much more difficult to 
get into some of those i, th I think uh which is that main maven repo i forget what it's called but it's like you have to go and submit a, a ticket and some human has to check the ticket and then they check if there's anything that's kind of similar to what you're trying to publish and i think wow and i think if you do that um you go through that amount of effort to get a library up you're not just going to pull it down and when you throw a tantrum um which yeah. is what happened with left pad yeah uh so and i'm not even sure that's related to the nature of the language itself so um excuse the rust evangelism here but, um rust is a similar thing it's it's pretty easy to publish a package um yeah. and it's pretty easy to remove a package and a very similar thing happened uh last year year before i couldn't tell you the time frame um, yeah, I remember that. Somebody's yeah. code got quite badly criticized and they got very offended and they removed the code. And that um, was problematic because it was driving half of the Rust world. Um, that mm. problem did get resolved. The code did get put back. But um, even though you've got such a, um, a different language to JavaScript, it just shows that it's, it's, it's related to the ecosystem and the people that use it, not necessarily to the nature of the language itself. Maybe the nature of some of the decisions made. Um, for example, if if you were working on a project at the time, let's say this happened in Java with Maven, right? Most Maven packages are cached on on your machine by the yeah. nature of how Maven works. And so, yeah. when you when you pull a package, um, even if the the repo is down, but if you had pulled that package recently, it would be on your machine, and, and it would take yeah. longer to notice. Yeah, yeah, it probably would have taken longer to notice. Although, if you're doing clean builds on your build server, that probably would have been picked up there if you didn't have a mirror. Um, mm. So I'm I'm pretty sure there's at least one human being who would have noticed very fast that their build was broken, and if they were bright at all, they would notice that something had been gone. Look, there's ways to cache your node packages as well on your build servers mm. and things like that. Um, mm. But I definitely feel that mirroring should be brought in um, just out of sanity. Although I don't know what kind of server you would need to mirror the NPM repository. A very, very large one. You're not going to run that in your local Labrador. Yeah, I think it might actually be bigger than whatever Ubuntu's archive. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, maybe that is a solvable problem. I don't think that's a, an easily solvable problem. And uh, dare I say this, I think it's probably a thing where the people who are in the best place to solve it is big tech. And uh, big tech solving problems like this scares me a little bit, to be honest. Uh, yeah, you're asking people to be reasonable and responsible and look out for other people's interests. I don't know that big tech has historically done all those things particularly well. Yeah, I mean, the solution I'm suggesting is a Linux solution, which is traditionally an anti-big tech sort of yeah. community. So I think that kind of shows just how much big tech may be the cause of this issue. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to uh, discuss another thing, um, which is that community as a whole, that JavaScript community. Um, what are your thoughts and feelings on, on the JavaScript community? Uh, complicated, to be honest. Um, so 
I think the JavaScript community has gone undergone a lot of changes uh, since I first wrote my first line of JavaScript and was using jQuery to the modern day world. Um, I think the community has reinvented itself multiple times. I think they're a very vibrant community that produces a lot of code. Um, I think a lot of great code gets produced within the community, and I think a lot of terrible code gets produced within the community. <laughs> um, one thing I will say is I don't think that community is going anywhere. Um, it's going to be a very core part of our future for for the foreseeable future, which in tech is the next three to four months. Um, but I think I think JavaScript's going to continue to play in a very very important role um, for all software for for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, so so I have an interesting take on the community. It's just something that I noticed as I became more active on Twitter recently was. I mean, obviously, it's a very beginner-friendly language because everybody has a browser and that has a JavaScript engine. So by default, yeah. this language is installed on everyone's computer. Um, and and obviously, we interact with websites a lot, and that's what people want to build when they learn programming. And so JavaScript is going to be a lot of people's first language going forward, yeah. especially. And because of its beginner-friendliness, I feel, I mean, there are people, I mean, if you see my block and mute list on Twitter now, it's massive. Um, <laughs> I block people who I think are terrible human beings, and I mute people who I think are annoying. Um, and I've, I've muted a lot of the JavaScript community. And the reason is because you get these, we'll call them JavaScript teachers. Um, Oh, yeah, oh. and and they sort of it feels like some sort of snake oil salesman pitch or whatever, where you you get these guys that seem to be I, I don't know if they're getting some sort of monetary uh, reward for what they're doing or something, but uh, basically saying trying to build their own like YouTube brand or something, teaching people yeah. JavaScript. And, and then they'll say things that to me are just condescending. Uh, yeah. They often manage to be condescending and stupid at the same time. Yeah. Some of them are condescending and stupid. Um, you know, shortcutting, making an alias for console.log to be like CL or something. <laughs> that, was, that was the, <laughs> and saying that unironically was just uh, yeah to to believe that is a novel unique and useful idea is um, quite a thing or if you're using vs code just press f9 and then you'll have a debugger breakpoint and you would have typed zero lines of code <laughs> um yeah uh look it wouldn't disturb me it's, it's not the fact that they're teaching that's great the fact mm. that it's beginner friendly that's great the mm. fact that it's condescending or sometimes just stupid and i mean mm. yeah i write serious javascript but i understand why some maybe developers from outside of the javascript world that don't write serious javascript you can go look at the javascript community and you can see some of that stuff and i understand why they don't take javascript seriously mm. because if you're Building your examples off of those people, yeah. it can look like 
people are just messing around, you know? Yeah. Like <laughs> aliasing a function or saying, I, I think the ones that disturbed me the most was um, when people say things like, a mistake I see a lot of beginners make is X. And you're like, well, and, and it's, a, it's an example that is like your code literally won't execute until you fix that. Yeah. So my point is, well, if someone's a beginner and they do that, their code's not going to execute. And then it's going to take them, whether it's hours, minutes, or days, they're going to get through that and then they're going to yeah. know. Yeah. Those are the easy problems I'm, to solve I'm, in programming. I'm not sure why you want to point out that beginners are dumbasses because obviously people who start out at something are dumbasses i mean it's it's obvious i'm a dumbass at rust because <laughs> right. like but it doesn't help anyone it's just it's almost like uh well i'm better than you and this is why i don't know that was the tone that it felt like <laughs> and that's why i muted those people i think you've stumbled onto something that is probably something that we have to talk about in another day because i could wax lyrical about this but i think the initial comments around that's not really for other people that's to build a brand is probably on point it's uncomfortable um there are definitely facets of the javascript community that that really really have a public perception problem they're not the only language um there are other languages that also have serious public perception problems um Sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad reasons. I think PHP and Rust probably both have some pretty bad public perception problems because of their communities. Mm. Uh, <laughs> there are things that JS probably, as a community, probably needs to try and fix. But, oh, that's, yeah. that's an uphill fighter. Yeah, that's but it, fighter. I think a big problem is, is those people in the community are fairly loud, obviously, because they're trying to get their brand out there. Yeah, and when that loud person is again talking about aliasing console.log as some sort of amazing trick, yeah, um, that I think contributes greatly to this perception by uh, by developers from other communities saying, you know, JavaScript is not serious programming because yeah. if you had to look at that kind of stuff, it's like, yeah, what are you talking about? And then you get guys that have learned javascript never actually got a job to write it um practically and <laughs> in a literal sense and yeah. and then they start giving career advice and interview advice and you're like <laughs> you haven't passed an interview why are you giving interview advice yeah <laughs> how do you you went from learning javascript on what is that thing free code camp to making a YouTube channel, what what experience do you have getting yeah. a job? I, I don't know. Like, I think this is a big problem. I think it's a big problem that strikes software developers in a lot of ways. We're very we're very willing to talk about things we don't know, and it's fine to talk about things that you don't know. It's great. It's actually it's one of the ways you learn. But don't pretend to be an authority about things that you don't know. Yeah, it's okay to admit that you don't know what you're talking about. It's great. That's basically why you and I are here talking. Um, and and maybe we'll learn something over this. And and maybe I'm going to do some googling after this about some of the things that you've said. But I'm I'm not here as an authority. I'm here to have an interesting conversation. Yeah. And I wish more folks were like that. 
Yeah, I mean, because we don't know everything. Uh, we never do, and and other people know some things better than us. Um, yeah, but, absolutely. But yeah, what I do know is that people who have obtained jobs probably have better um, opinions on interview processes than people who never have. Yeah, I would <laughs> struggle to argue with that. I really would. Uh, yeah, it's very strange. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, on that bombshell, I think we should end because I think we've gone around an hour. I've actually been trying to shorten these things. <laughs> I guess the nature is what it is. So yeah. I'm going to have to find a service somewhere to put all these on. <laughs> I love it. Because <laughs> we're going to run out of gigage fast. It, it's um, tremendous. It's a good problem to have, I think. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll write some JavaScript. Um, and we'll serve this up. <laughs> I, I think um, I, I have to stop freeloading off of GitHub because I've literally just the last podcast is just in a Git repo. <laughs> the full MP3 is like seventy six megabytes or something. That's not so bad. Yeah, but after you get to, I think, what's Coda Radio on now? Episode 376. I think I'm going to get a phone call from GitHub at that point. Yeah, yeah you <laughs> might. You might. Actually. Dude, it's time to start paying for this. Please. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to see how far I can make it on DigitalOcean with 25 gigs, and we'll go from there. Um, yeah. So. Cool. Um, yeah, on that bombshell, is there anything you'd like to point people towards? Uh, any cool JavaScript-related stuff? Or are you going to evangelize for Rust? <laughs> um, I mean, quick evangelism for Rust. Uh, JavaScript might be the future. Wasm might be part of that future, too. If you're interested in writing high-performance JavaScript, you can compile Rust to Wasm these days. It's going to be great. Um, but I, I think the thought that I really want to leave with people with is JavaScript's a really powerful language. Um, if you don't have it in your tool belt, it might be time to add it. Have some fun. It's going to be great. Set fire to a browser. Write some bro robots in JavaScript. Totally not biased because, yeah, don't check the contributor <laughs> list on Johnny Five. <laughs> God, do tremendous things and have fun. Yes, indeed. And now, with that, we'll get Craig to leave. Have a great one, folks. <laughs>